Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you that you have given us a place to gather and to worship you and to learn about you and to fellowship together. We ask, Lord, this morning that you would clear our minds from our worries and cares of the week and that you would refresh us uh, by your word, by your spirit, uh, this, this whole morning, this whole day, and that we would be nourished and strengthened and built up to go out into a new week, resting in the work of Christ and ready to do the work he's given us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this morning, a couple of things I want to start with. One is Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 2. I'm going to read that one, but while I'm reading it, if someone else would turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and as you're turning to Matthew 28:18, Deuteronomy 32:2, Moses is praying, and he says, "May my te- teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass." And like showers upon the herb. Moses is uh, said to be, be the, the meekest man in the Bible. And we've, we see the statues of him looking severe. And uh, we think of the law as being severe. But uh, Moses prayed that his teaching would be gentle like the rain. So Matthew 28, verse 18, starting there, if someone has it, would you go ahead and read to the rest, to the end of the chapter? So this is the Great Commission, and the Great Commission is to make disciples. And our Sunday school this morning, and probably for the rest of the month, is about disciple-making. And Jesus tells us to make disciples, we baptize them, and then we teach them. Have you ever wondered how to make a disciple, or how to disciple someone? How to teach someone what they need to know about Christianity, I know I have. Well, there was a man who was named Diogratius who lived at the turn of the 4th to 5th century. I always get that wrong. It was around the year 400 AD. And he wrote a letter to St. Augustine of Hippo. And in the letter, he told him that he often found himself having to instruct the new converts, the people who were coming, wanting to join the church or having recently joined the church. And he, he had to do it, but he, was, um, he sometimes felt like what he was saying maybe wasn't important or, or maybe it was boring uh, or maybe he wasn't good at it. And so he was looking for some help from Augustine. Augustine wrote him a letter back. And that letter, uh, he took a little bit of time. He apologizes for how much time it took to write it. Because it ended up being a 28-chapter letter. Uh, it was a, sh- a short book. Um, 
But he thought that the question was was worth a fuller answer and useful for other people to contemplate. And so the book, On the Catechizing of the Uninstructed, uh, took the form of a letter back to Diogratius. And um, Augustine starts just by laying out what he's going to do. In the first chapter, he says, you know, we're going to cover where to begin, what to cover, and how not to talk too long. And that's it for this week. Uh, that's what he says. But then he writes 28 chapters, right? And then, uh, and then he starts to encourage Diogratius, starting in chapter 2. Because Diogratius uh, is feeling insecure, and he's afraid that the droning of his own voice isn't, uh, isn't helping anybody. Augustine, the great rhetorician, in chapter 2, says, Diogratius, I feel the same way as you do. I have these feelings and thoughts in my heart and my mind, and I want to express them to people, and I always feel like I fall short uh, of what I was thinking and what I was failing uh, or feeling. Um, and that's, that is something I think that we all face because your mind and your heart, the way they work, and he talks about this, they're very different than speech. Speech is linear. You can only say one thing at a time, and you have to follow a particular thread. And as soon as you start doing that, the person who's listening to you is thinking, and they may be uh, thinking of all kinds of reasons that you're wrong, or you haven't covered everything, or you didn't say what you should have or the way you should have. And it's, it takes time and patience to work through these things. And so Augustine starts by identifying with Diogratius, and if Augustine felt insecure about his ability to communicate, that, that should give us all um, a little grace for ourselves, uh, because there are a few people who have attained to Augustine's abilities to communicate. So he starts by saying, I feel that way too, and then uh, he encourages him. He says, um, don't grow weary in well-doing. Others may enjoy hearing what you say more than you enjoy hearing it. He tells him, don't be too hard on yourself without warrant. And consider if they appear to take delight, to be interested, to ask for more, or bring others to hear. You may be better at it than you think. So, so that's how Augustine opens, is to try to comfort Diogratius. Obviously, this man was... Uh, Augustine's picking up on something maybe Diogratius missed, and that is, if he keeps getting asked over and over and over again to instruct these folks, maybe he's actually quite good at it. Uh, but being obliging, Augustine goes ahead and uh, begins to lay out, okay, so how is it that we are to disciple uh, new, uh, new entrants to the church, new converts, um, and he's, he starts in chapter 3, uh, and the summary of that is that he says that teaching new Christians should cover all of Scripture and church history, but not exhaustively or confusedly, rather in summary fashion. The history should be traced with more time devoted to critical moments and less to trivial minutiae. 
Um, if you have read Robert Louis Stevenson, raise your hand. This would be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Treasure Island. I didn't see a lot of hands raised, but I'm hoping, I, I'm hoping you've read. Okay. Uh, Kidnapped. Uh, Kidnapped has another book. Okay, how about this one? Catriona. Has anyone read that? Also, also titled David Balfour. Okay. That is the sequel to Kidnapped. And if you're looking for a steamy, reformed um, Presbyterian romance novel, that is Catriona. It's written by Robert Louis Stevenson. You should check it out. Um, at the beginning of that book, Robert Louis Stevenson, the master storyteller, summarizes Kidnapped. And that is fascinating to, to read and to see what does the author, how does the author of Kidnapped summarize Kidnapped? Uh, because we often hear of cliff notes or somebody else gives us a summary of something and that's great, that's what they think about it. Uh, but here we have the author summarizing his own work and that, that's interesting. When Augustine is telling us that we need to summarize scripture, we are left without help because in a way, scripture is itself a summary written by the author of what he thinks is important for you to know about what he's done. So, but that's all of scripture. And he said, you don't have to be exhaustive. But what's neat, if we look in scripture, is that we find summaries in scripture about scripture. So Psalms, the Psalms are full of summaries of what God has done. And uh, almost all of them have some aspect of that, but some of them are very purposeful in being a summary. And so a few would be uh, Psalm 104 is a summary of creation. It's actually a, a summary of creation that almost is as long as the story of creation, but it's not necessarily as long as the six days of creation. It doesn't take six days to read. Psalm 105 is a summary of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and so is Psalm 106. And if you look at Psalm 106, they're right back back, 105, 106. They both summarize the same material, but they pick out different details to work through. And Psalm 136 uh, summarizes the, the first five bi- uh, books of the Bible, but also it summarizes the period of time between Moses and David. And uh, to show just how concise you can be in a summary, there's really just two verses and gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, A very quick summary of the time between Moses and David. Psalm 130 uh, uh, summarizes the times of exile, and what the people are going through and feeling in those times, and thinking and asking God, how long is this going to be? How long will you cast this off? Uh, so many, there are many psalms of exile and uh, many psalms that recount the deeds of God. But in Acts chapter 2, we see this continued, where Peter uh, summarizes not only the Old Testament, but he summarizes the life and work of Jesus Christ. And again, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen summarizes most of the Old Testament. And throughout the New Testament, we see the apostles, and particularly Paul, providing concise summaries of redemptive history. So again, when Augustine tells us, you start with discipling by giving somebody a summary of Scripture, uh, there are many places we can turn in Scripture 
uh, that is a chapter that does most of that work for you. Um, We'll talk more later about how Paul applies this and how he uses his ability to evaluate his listener and then adjusts his summary to address that listener. Uh, But I'm going to save that for a later week. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 is also an excellent summary of the Old Testament. I think I said that. Apologies. Um, So the Bible has often been described as a book of genealogies. You can see how it's organized by genealogies, and you, if you read through it, uh, the authors bring you back to genealogies, and they ground you there, and they remind you what they've gone over, and then they tell you a new genealogy, and then they start to explore what's happening for some of the people that are recounted in that genealogy. The Bible is very much a book of genealogies, but it is also very much a book of summaries, And uh, I think that can be helpful for us, too, to, as we go through the minutiae, to think, what does God pull out again and again as the critical pieces of this story? So then, Augustine says, not just to summarize scripture, but also to summarize church history. That's difficult, because he only had like 400 years to summarize, and we now have 2,000 years to summarize, but... Uh, it can be done. I think we're going to push that to next week. I'm going to try to talk about how we might summarize church history. But for today, I'm going to say a few more things about Augustine and how he writes, because one of my hopes would be that you would pick up some writings by Augustine, if you haven't already, and read uh, some of them, because they're great. Uh, So if you do, the first thing you'll find is that Augustine's style is very different than what we're used to today, uh, whether it's written today or if we're very familiar with the writings of the Reformers or the Puritans, Augustine's style is different than those two. I've heard it described uh, as uh, of the church fathers as being like water flowing down a hill that moves to the left or the right. It covers everything that it's going past. It rolls over the logs and twigs and stones. It fills in the nooks and crannies. It's meandering, but it eventually gets to the bottom of the hill. And stylistically, that is how the church fathers write. And it can be difficult, but is, is also very instructive. But then the next thing I would, I would tell you about Augustine is that he was a master of rhetoric. He was extremely well-educated, extremely well-practiced, uh, and, and his rhetoric is, was both powerful in speech and writing. And one of the things that really uh, makes it easy to recognize him when he's speaking is his way of turning a phrase where he will give you many things to think about and to marinate on, and he'll ponder them and he'll think through them, And after a period of time, he'll bring it to uh, a closing sentence that pulls in the themes that he's been working through into a very cleverly arranged sentence that is powerful and memorable and makes you kind of go, oh. And uh, that's that's very um, identifiable in in Augustine. 
he rearranges words in multiple uh, clause sentences to make beautiful and powerful statements. And then the, the other thing that you'll notice in Augustine is that he uses a form of exegesis that has uh, fallen out of favor uh, largely in the church, the allegorical form, sometimes called the spiritual form of exegesis, uh, which seeks to find almost um, a masked or, or secret spiritual meaning to a particular uh, passage. We see that in Scripture. Of course, when it's done in Scripture, an example would be that uh, when, when it said that Hagar was Sinai and Sarah is uh, Mount Zion, that is an allegorical interpretation of Scripture, but of course that's with the authority of the Holy Spirit uh, giving us that interpretation. As, uh, as, as preachers now, we don't have uh, that kind of authority to allegor- allegoricalize, however you would say that. An example from uh, Augustine of kind of an allegorical interpretation from this book, uh, he talks about Jacob's birth. He says that Jacob came out gripping Esau's heel, that the hand gripping the the feet or the foot is tripping and supplanting the wicked men preceding Christ, that the first five books of the Bible are the five clenched fingers of Jacob's hand, and that uh, while the hand comes out first, Christ, the head, eventually comes out after, and then the rest of his body follows. And he just drops that on us as the meaning of this, of this text, and it's a fantastic uh, allegory that he's, that he's sharing here. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien talks about allegories and applicability, and he, uh, to his dying breath, uh, swears that what he wrote was not allegory. It wasn't a thinly veiled history of the world or of World War II or of World War I, uh, but rather that good writing is applicable to your life. And so as you read it, you see how what is being said applies to that situation over there, maybe World War I, uh, or it applies to your own life. And that is how Scripture is, too, uh, that we aren't searching for a secret spiritual meaning uh, for my life. We've probably all come across that person who reads the Bible and decides that they must name their child this because something about what's in the Bible has convinced them that that is God speaking directly to them. They must name their child this thing. Um, we're not trying to, to discover secret spiritual meanings in Scripture, but rather we need to understand that it is applicable to our lives. Uh, and that's what Peter says, that God, is, by his divine power, has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So, I'm going to try to give you an example of Augustinian rhetoric but I'm just Michael, so it's probably not that great. But we've been thinking about Augustine's style, marinating on some of the things he does, and then I've critiqued a little bit the allegorical style, and I'm always afraid to critique anything that Augustine does. 
Um, so, so here's my attempted sentence, Augustinian sentence, okay? To wrap it all up. In Augustine's defense, I will say that every allegorical interpretation of Augustine's that I have ever encountered has been phenomenal. But not every allegorical interpreter is, in, is Augustine. Um, so that would, that's a, a way that Augustine tends to turn sentences. And you're left going, oh, okay, we shouldn't use allegorical sentences, or uh, exegesis, even though Augustine did, because we're not as good at it as he is. Okay, so now, for the last couple of minutes, I want to get into how do we break this down? How do we start to create a simple framework in our minds that will help us to summarize Scripture uh, and church history the way Augustine tells us to. And I think we start with understanding what question it is that, is, that everyone shares. And that quest, those questions are, where did we come from? What condition are we in? How do we fix it? And where are we going? No matter who you meet as they come uh, to the church, and we're talking mostly about discipling here, not necessarily evangelism, they have those questions in their mind. And as Christians, and as we organize how we're going to summarize Scripture, we've got some answers. We've got what I've written down here, creation, fall, redemption. So that is the framework, and you could add consummation. Um, it's kind of tied up in, in the redemption story, but, but that is a pretty simple framework that can start to help you, as you're studying the Bible, as you're learning about the Christian faith, to organize your thoughts. And what is, what is important, Augustine says, just tell, them, just tell them the important parts. Well, what are the important parts? Well, give them some details about creation. Give them some details about the fall. And give them some details about redemption. Augustine is going to spend time as he proceeds through the book in helping us understand that more and even giving some examples of what that this kind of um, conversation might look like. But to ground us, he wants us to um, remember the point of our discourse so we don't get carried away in argumentation and beating someone over the head with a fine a finer point of, of theology or uh, with some philosophical argument, he tells us, if I can find it in my notes, I, I know I will, I'm confident that I will in time. Um, here it is. Uh, he tells us that the point of the discourse that we're having with this person is that they may hear, that hearing they may believe, that believing they may hope, that hoping they might love. And for, for Augustine, that's the key word in picking your data points for your highlights of the summarization of scripture in church history is pick 
things that demonstrate the love of God. He he starts with the love of Christ, the love of God, but then he kind of takes a step back and he says, the, the foundation is the love of Christ, but the ground, the earth below the foundation is the fear of God. He wants you to begin to construe this person who's coming and evaluate whether they're coming to please man. Sometimes it feels like somebody's trying to join the church because they like one of the girls in our church. Or maybe because their parents want them to. And Augustine is pretty savvy. And he wants to get right after that and say, why do you want to come to Christ? It had better be because you fear God. Can anybody tell me, what is it we're saved from? Yeah, she got it. Good, that's a trap. I'm always trying to trap people. It's always trick questions. Uh, Often we say sin. I'm saved from sin. But we're saved from the wrath of God. And Augustine wants that to be the reason that you're here. But once you've established that, it's the love of God that we're going to develop and we're going to say, well, now as I give you this history, I want you to focus on how much God loves you. God loves each of us as though there were only one of us, I think is a quote from Augustine. Um, so for, for Augustine, he likes to juxtapose things. So he reminds us that we love God because he first loved us. That while we were proud men, he humbled himself to become man. And while we were in misery, he showed mercy to us. And that's how he wants to shape his, his uh, instruction so that we stay focused on the love of God. The uh, clock says that we only have a couple of minutes left. So I think we will just ask if there's any questions, and then if we'll pray if there aren't any. So any, any questions or thoughts or things that you would want to share or add to this? I thought there was a question, but there wasn't. I got excited for a minute. Okay, all right. Then we will pray, and we will begin our time of fellowship. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for the word. You haven't left us wondering what we are supposed to think about life, uh, how we are supposed to fix the brokenness that we are so aware of in ourselves and around us, but instead you have given us your word and we find in it all of the answers that we need. We find comfort, nourishment, and you have also given us the church, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. And so we have 
people like Augustine who have gone before, from whom we can learn uh, so much. We ask that we would not fail to be diligent in this, but we would avail ourselves of the opportunity to learn from those who have gone before us. In Jesus' name, amen.